Well, we're in Revelation chapter 14. We're continuing on here. And um, I'm going to go ahead and open in prayer and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time. We ask, dear God, that you would open up your word to us. Holy Spirit, we ask you to apply it to us. God, I, I don't want this message to be from me. I want it to be from you, of you, by you, to you. And so, Lord, we just ask for you to anoint this time and help us to hear your word and be moved by it and motivated by it and changed by it and transformed by it. We thank you, dear God, and we love you and we thank you uh, that we can be here together. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you remember, we've entered into chapter 14 and to kind of set this and very soon here we're going to get to the place where we kind of summarize everything, we'll give a, maybe a little revelation map or something. Because for some of you guys, it may be like, wait, wait, what happened back then? What happened here? And we'll try our best to summarize things. and Because uh, it's a little bit of like we'll have parenthetical statements as we've seen. And sometimes we'll have ordered events. Uh, and now in chapter 14, this is really a prophetic event. And it's a prophetic event within the prophetic book prophesying of something to be future. So that gets a little confusing for us. And what I mean by that is that in John's vision, he all of a sudden sees to the future of what's going to happen. And chapter 14 is the return of Christ and and uh, the judgment of the believers. And then after chapter 14, we're going to get into the final seven plagues. I uh, was reminded of a story of an airplane pilot that was coming in. He was uh, He couldn't get his landing gear down, and as he was... Coming in for the landing, he was calling out to the tower, Tower, uh, what should we do? What should we do? Uh, we're at 800 feet. Tower, what should we do? And the tower responded back, Repeat this after me, our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy So, but, uh, but uh, the whole idea is here as we get towards the end of Revelation, we're going to see that the Lord is going to return. He's going to answer every single prayer request. And, uh, and we, we finally are making it to the end. I was actually. Uh, looking ahead at kind of uh, sermons to come and going, oh, man, I was telling my wife on Saturday, we're almost done. This is so weird. I, I thought it would take longer. But uh, so anyway, we're, we're there. So in 14, what we've seen is first the 144,000 with the lamb on at, at the Mount of Olives there. And uh, so we see that they've been preserved, uh, carried through the entire tribulation period. And we see that they're rewarded. They receive a song that only they are allowed to sing. And then, uh, of course, there's rewarded for those believers who have been martyred during the tribulation. And now we get into the latter half of this chapter, uh, starting at verse 14. So chapter 14 and verse 14, here we go. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap for the hour to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar the angel who has authority over the fire, and he called out with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, 
for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. This, this part of Revelation, of course, we've been saying this somewhat every week, that this rich imagery that's happening. But as we see this first, this first person in Revelation with the sharp sickle, I mean, we can't help but just think of this just awesome image of someone with a sharp sickle and, and the meaning of what it means to reap, that everything's come to an end. The time is now. And, and the first thing I want to point out to you is seated on a white cloud, one like a son of man. Who is this? Well, it's Jesus Christ. We know Daniel refers to one like the son of man. This is a title of, of Christ as he interacts with the, the earth. And here it is. He's ready to judge. And that's really what this passage is all about is the time has come for the final judgments. Judgment is, is happening. So what's up with all this reaping and sowing? I mean, after all, here we have two seemingly reaping times. And, um, and, and you might at first thought, when you, as you read through this, think, okay, so Jesus comes to reap, and then this angel comes who's a little more, uh, this is kind of scary because you have an angel who's in charge of the fire saying to this other angel, reap, and then there's blood of stadium flowing. And at first thought, you might even look at this and think, well, maybe this is talking about two different types of harvest. Maybe it's a harvest of believers and then a harvest of those who are being judged. And, and I, I do think there is a, a little bit of a distinction here, but I don't think it's one of belief versus those going to judgment. I think the whole thing is judgment. One is in general for the whole earth. And, and then, of course, we have the actual particular happening there at the Valley of Armageddon, which is the latter half of this passage. And why I think that is there's a word here when the angel tells Jesus Christ, put your sickle in and rip the reap for the hour has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. That word ripe in the Greek, exerino, it means to that dried up or withered, overripe is really what the term is. And, and to give you an idea of how this word is used in Scripture, I'm just going to turn over to, I'll just read this to you, but if you go to James Chapter 1 and verse 1, um, this is a great example of how this word is used. It's um, James, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 11. It, it says this, it says, For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its fa flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So that word there is used for withered. And, of course, it's also used in the parable of the sower by Jesus when he talks about that, that um, seed that fell on rocky ground, it sprung up really fast, but as the sun beat down on it, it withered away. And so this word ripe is more of an overripe. It's, it's, it's past ripe. And when we, uh, you know, I'm not really familiar with an agrarian culture, but, but Jesus was, and of course John was. And most of the people during, during uh, the time of this writing understood agriculture. They understood what they needed to do when, when it was time to harvest. They saw wheat being harvested. And um, 
what you find is when you know wheat is ready for the harvest, you, you pick the wheat out and you kind of do this in your hands. And if it if the chaff falls off and you have the kernel, then you take it and you put it in your mouth, you bite into it. And if it, if, it, if it cracks and then you can start chewing it, it's ready. That's the time to harvest the wheat. It, it's ready. It's actually very moist. It's not very dried out or anything like that. But when it gets to the point where it's overripe, it starts drying out. And then what is it good for? The fire. That's what that wheat goes into. So here, here is the time of the harvest. Now, I had a firsthand experience with wheat harvesting last year in Nepal. We got there. The earthquake had happened. The second earthquake had happened. And uh, what I noticed was people were harvesting wheat. Their houses had fallen down, but they didn't have time to repair their houses because the harvest was here. And if they didn't harvest the wheat, then, then they couldn't eat for the, the rest of the year because the rainy season was coming and they were going to have to deal with the monsoons for, and then there was no other time for harvest and they, they would be toast without food stores. So everywhere you went in Nepal last year, everywhere I went in Nepal, there were people out threshing wheat. They were harvesting the wheat. They, they would carry these big bundles. In fact, uh, they had very unique ways of threshing the wheat. Uh, of course, one person I saw, they were shaking the wheat and, and the heavy stuff would fall right to the, the this tarp that they had laid out and the the wind would take the chafe and blow it away, and they just kept threshing that way. Others would take the wheat bundles and put them out in the road so the cars would drive over them. And, and the first time I saw this, we were driving. I was like, oh, watch out for their wheat. You know, I thought we were going to screw up. He's like, oh, no, they want us to run over it. If we run over it, it will separate out the wheat heads, and then they just shake it, and, and, the, and they're good to go. It makes the threshing process faster. Everywhere I went in Nepal, they were threshing wheat. They were harvesting because it was the time of the harvest. And to wait would be uh, wrong. It would be, everything would go into the garbage. So here, what we're being told in, by John in this revelation, as the Son of Man is, is encouraged to put his sickle in and reap because the hour has come, it's saying that the earth is ready for judgment. No more is God going to allow things to continue on as they are. It, the time has come. It's over. Now, we like to think of Jesus as meek and mild and gentle and soft and, oh, just give, give me a hug. But interesting, here we see Jesus with the sickle. He's ready to gather the harvest. He's the one who's done. In fact, John tells us something very interesting about Jesus. In John chapter 5, verse 22, it says that Jesus is the one who judges, not the Father. The Father, and we'll read this passage later on, but it's the Father has given him the judgment. He'll be the one to judge. Well, wait a minute. That's, I, don't, I don't understand this. Wait, wasn't Jesus the one who came to save us? What, why, would, why would he be the one to also judge us? Well, there is a time for salvation, and that time is now. But there's also going to be a time for judgment. And we'll see next week as we get into chapter 16 and these seven bold judgments that are, that, that are uh, poured out on the earth uh, or these seven Super Bowls, if you will. Actually, we won't see it next week because we'll be watching the Super Bowl. But these seven bowls that are poured out on the earth, what we're going to see is a reoccurring theme, and this is what, uh, what it'll, we'll see keep reoccurring. We'll, say, we'll see they did not repent and give him glory. They did not repent of their deeds. And every judgment that's poured out on the earth does not lead to repentance, but it just leads to rejection of God, sadly. Jesus will come and judge. 
I want to sh- turn with you uh, at this point in time to Matthew chapter 13 and look at a little parable that Jesus gave about the, the harvest. Matthew chapter 13. Jesus is giving some parables about the kingdom of God. He, he uh, is with his disciples and he says the kingdom of God is like uh, a field where, where uh, an owner sowed wheat and then someone came in the middle of the night and they sowed uh, weeds or tares among the wheat. And so a servant came up to, to the master and said, well, what should we do? Should we just pluck it all out and try to start over? And the master said, no, let it grow together. And at the end, we'll, we'll harvest and separate out the wheat and the tares. So as Jesus explains this parable, this is what he says in verse 24. Oh, I'm sorry. I want to make sure I got the right verse for you. Uh, yeah, Matthew 13, verse 36. Verse 36, this is what he says. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. So Jesus gives this parable, and he tells us that, and thankfully he just gives us a this great answer. Here's the meaning of the parable. I love it when, when there's a parable and Jesus explains to his disciples because I might have things a little fuzzy or funny in there and, and then Jesus explains like, whew, you took the pressure off me, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You know, but here what we see is that, that, that the owner has gone out and sowed the, the seed and he sowed a good crop. He sowed wheat all throughout, but look at what Satan has done. Satan has come in and sowed in the weeds or the tares. Now, what are the tares? The tares actually look just like wheat. It's a weed that looks just like wheat. In fact, you can't tell it apart until the time of the harvest. Experts uh, uh, with wheat say that they can't tell wheat and tares apart until the time of the harvest. See, something really interesting comes at, at the time of the harvest. The wheat heads become fuller and they start to bend over as they become ripe. And the tares continue, looking, uh, continue growing straight up. They stay greener, not, not, not so golden like wheat turns golden. And, and so the tares will be sticking straight up, growing right next to the wheat, and the wheat bends over. And then the harvesters, who are actually experts in this, they come out and they go, okay, yeah, that's a weed. That's the real wheat. That's a weed. That's the real wheat. And they can come through and harvest. But, but if you were to take it up right away, if you were to go through and start weeding the field, the weeds grow so close to the, the wheat that you would end up damaging the wheat at the same time. So Jesus gives this parable and saying it's going to be just like this at the end of, end of time. God's going to come through, and at, at that time of the harvest, the sons of the kingdom, they're, they're, going to be, um, they're going to be harvested. And look at what happens. The reapers come through. The reapers are angels. And, and uh, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out all of his kingdom and then all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. 
So Jesus gives this parable at the very, uh, during his ministry here on earth saying judgment is coming. It will come. And, and you may be sitting in church, sitting among wheat, being a weed yourself, thinking, okay, I'm safe. God hasn't judged me yet. Tempting God day after day, going, do, do I really need to accept God now? Do I really need to turn to him now? And th- here's the most amazing thing about the, the time now that we're in and not the time later. This time now, we actually can change from weeds to wheat. We actually have an opportunity to, to say, you know what, Lord, I'm wrong. I want to repent of my sin. I, I want to accept what you've done for me on that cross. I'm ready now to follow you. And then something amazing happens. Jesus Christ transforms us. We become part of his kingdom, no longer a weed growing in uh, opposition to his kingdom. Not, no longer a weed of the enemy. So it's a wonderful blessing that God gives to us, but it's for now. It's, it's this time of grace. There will be a time when he comes where grace will not be offered, but judgment. Now, I don't believe that we'll be, the church will be in this great tribulation. I believe we'll be out, but I think it still stands the same that we need to understand that judgment will come. Will I be a wheat, part of his kingdom, or will I be a weed, part of the enemy's kingdom? I think that's a question you really need to ask yourself. Salvation is in Christ alone. It's based on him. It's not based on your merit. We've gone over that. We go over that every week. But I think it's, it's important to understand you will stand before the Lord at some point in your life. Well, you'll die or the Lord will come back and you will stand before him. And you will be judged by him. Galatians, Paul tells us that what we reap, we will sow. Galatians uh, chapter 6 and verse 7, if you'll turn there real fast. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. Galatians jumped out of my Bible. Uh, I keep passing it up. Chapter 6 and verse 7. Paul says this, he says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. I think this is an important question to ask ourselves, church. What are we sowing to? Are we sowing to the flesh? Is... is, is your week all about you and, and appeasing your flesh, your desires, your wants? Or is your week about sowing to the Spirit, living by the Spirit, bearing fruit in the Spirit? And here's, here's what I know about sowing to the flesh. I know this from firsthand experience, and I know many of you are right there with me, that when we sow to the flesh, it seems gratifying at first. It seems like, yes. It, 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 oh, yeah, that's, that's exactly what I want. It's bringing us some bit of happiness and joy. But somehow, it always ends in destruction. <laughs> I read a longer article than I wanted to about Bernie Madoff. And, of course, Bernie Madoff, if you don't know who he is, he, he was uh, basically had the greatest Ponzi scheme in the history of the stock market. On paper, he stole $65 billion from investors. And when you read his interview with the New York Times, as, as he talks about this, he basically continues talking about how he couldn't stop. 
he, he knew he was in too deep, and he just couldn't stop, and he continues stealing money. Of course, he's got a warped sense of right and wrong. He thinks that eventually his good will outweigh his bad and all sorts of stuff. But, but what we found is as he started sowing to the flesh, that flesh kept craving more and more and more. And here he is being sentenced by the Fed to 150 years in prison. Of course, it's basically a death sentence for Bernie Madoff in jail. But the flesh will never be satisfied. It continues to crave. And if we sow to the flesh, if we sow with corruption, corruption we will receive. Things that will not last. Things that will not bring peace. You know, in the interview he said he was actually kind of glad he finally got caught. Because he no longer worries about getting caught. It all came out in the open. Of course, his, a lot of his family members won't talk to him, sadly, and all this sort of stuff. He's still reaping what he has sown. But are you that way? Are you a person that continues sowing to the flesh, living by the flesh, craving to des- satisfy the desires of your flesh, willing to risk everything for your flesh, knowing that all it will bring about is your corruption, and in the end, judgment even more so? I mean, that's the sad part here. When we read that parable of the kingdom, it says that the, the wheat is thrown into the firing, fiery furnace in the place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And last week we read about that this is for all eternity. This punishment is not something that stops. Be very careful with what you invest in, Christians. And in fact, if you're not a Christian, the same warning goes out to you. Very careful what you invest in. You may think that, ah, it's just be flippant about it. and No, it's not a big deal. God's not going to judge. No, he will. He'll remember everything done, every deed, and he will judge. Of course, the flip side of that is if we sow to the Spirit, we'll reap from the Spirit eternal life. That's a good investment right there. That's an investment that pays off way greater than any investment in a temporal satisfaction. I, I don't know about you, but uh, temporal satisfactions are never very satisfying for long. Uh, <laughs> you know, you get a craving for something sweet, and, and I found that it gets worse as, as I've gotten older. Uh, I just can't handle some of the cravings that I've had before, and, and I, I don't handle them as well down here either. And, um, and I'll eat something and go, oh, man, that looks so delicious. I can't wait to eat that. And, uh, you know, sometimes I don't get to eat till late at night. And then all of a sudden, all night long, I'm feeling like, oh, why did I eat that? I should have stopped. I should have not eaten that pizza at 10 o'clock. Youth ministry, you know. And, uh, <laughs> but but <laughs> it, it used to be easy, but not so much anymore. But, but I, I know that although it seems so satisfying and so gratifying to, to eat that or whatever the case is, is nothing but regret afterwards. Why did I do that? It's amazing how we can look so much to satisfy, but then it just brings about regret. Sin is the same way. We can look so hard to satisfy the, the nature of our flesh, the passions, the desires of our flesh, and, and we long to do this. We jump out to do it. We're, we're oh, I got to do this. I, I can't not satisfy this desire. And we do it. And what does it bring? Guilt. Condemnation. It, 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 it breaks us apart. It breaks up our relationships. It hurts us. It holds us captive. 
it holds us into bondage. But when we satisfy the desires of the, the Spirit, when we sow to the Spirit and we satisfy the Spirit, what do we reap? Freedom. Eternal life. Yeah, we might say, no, I don't want to eat the pizza right now because it's just going to hurt all night long. And I'll be happier and thinner. <laughs> and, and it's a better choice, right? Well, it's the same with the flesh or the spirit. If I sow to the spirit, it's actually easier. It, does, it brings freedom. There's no condemnation. I'm set free from condemnation, the Bible tells us, that I'm no longer sitting under judgment. I have nothing to hide, no fear, open relationships, transparency within my relationships. It's a totally different way of living, and it's a way that brings freedom in our lives. It brings forgiveness to us. So I want to challenge you as we look at this passage of the reaping of the earth and the judgment upon unbelievers Think carefully about how you're living. Think about whether you're reaping to the, uh, or you're sowing to the flesh or sowing to the spirit, because you will reap. One ends in condemnation and judgment. The other ends in freedom and eternal life. And for me, that's what I want. I want the freedom and eternal life. In fact, that's exactly why Christ came, is it not? I came that you might have life and have it to the full. And we go, oh, God, it's really not fair that I can't just do what I want to do, you know? Even though God tells us, no, don't do what you want to do is only going to bring heartache in your life. Living for holiness is going to bring about peace and happiness in your life. Right, being right with God. So we see that um, <clears throat> Jesus here sits here ready to sweep his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel comes out of the temple of heaven. He too had a sharp sickle, and this angel, uh, and then an angel uh, who has the authority over the fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth. So now we're getting a different metaphor of, of harvest. The first metaphor was of wheat, the harvest of the wheat. Now we're having a vine, and this vine has grapes all over the vine. It's lush. It's got these juicy grapes on it, and this angel who has authority over the fire. This is an interesting term, and I, I can't help but think that this is speaking about authority over the judgment that's happening, authority over what's going on here on the earth. This angel says to the other angel with the sickle, okay, put in your, your sickle and reap. And um, they, <laughs> okay, we're good. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> this is my light show effects that are happening here. So... <laughs> We just missed it, misplaced it. I was supposed to say reap, and it went dark. <laughs> it's happening. Anyways, so, so he has authority over the judgment of the earth, and he tells this angel, put in your sickle, and, and he gathers from it, uh, the, the put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great wine press of the wrath of God. And the wine press was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the wine press as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. Uh, a stadion, this is equivalent to about 185 meters. It's, uh, it's it basically encircling the city of Jerusalem. Now, it's, it's kind of interesting because Jerusalem, it, when we talk about Israel, when we talk about the uh, directions north, south, east, west, 
they're always in the, in the Bible, generally they're always in relation to Jerusalem. So that's what, when we talk about north or south, that's what we're talking about. And here we have this wine press being trodden outside the city and the blood flowed from it. And interesting, here's where, where the, the uh, illustration is opened up to us or this simile happens where we're not actually talking about grapes. It's not juice flowing out of these grapes, it's actual blood. In fact, there's a counterpart to this in Isaiah, Isaiah 63, and you can turn there later and look at it, but in Isaiah 63, we're told that, that God uh, takes the lifeblood, he treads out the lifeblood of his enemies. What is this? This is, this is Armageddon, and we're going to get to this more in the future, but all the, the Antichrist has established his kingdom, his world government, his world currency, and eventually the kingdoms from around are going to say, hey, that's it, we're going to battle. They go to war, and uh, it all happens right there around, around Jerusalem in the Valley of Armageddon, and we have the Battle of the Ar Armageddon at the end. And um, Now, it's interesting because it's called this Battle of Armageddon. But Jesus doesn't really call, when we, when we read about this in the future, you don't see Jesus calling for help or, or Jesus actually, like, fighting. In fact, when we read about his second coming in the future, it's he comes against them with the sword of his mouth, the word. So Jesus here is victorious. It's not even really a battle versus him. And as far as the, the wine press, as high as a horse's bridle, the blood flowing out, um, I don't think it's literally meaning that the horses can't move because it's, the whole valley is turned into a lake of blood. I, I, I don't think that's what it is. But when, when Israel would gather up their grapes in the fall, in the fall is when they harvested the grapes. They would gather them all up. They put them into the wine press in these buckets, and everybody would start stomping, pressing out the, the grapes. And as they stomped, the, the grape juice would start splattering everywhere. And so we're talking about the massive battle that will end with the death of all these people that are coming against God, all these evildoers, this judgment. And then we'll have judgment. So Revelation 14 ends with, uh, we're going to end Revelation 14, and we're, we're going to back out of that pro prophecy within the prophecy. We're, we're jumping forward, and that's where we'll, we'll start at Revelation 15. So let's, let's go into Revelation 15. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. Now, if you want, you can underline this in the Bible. Seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. I don't know about you, but as we read week after week about judgment, I'm kind of getting exhausted. I, I, I'm like, oh, Lord, how much more judgment do we have? That, that's how I feel. You might be feeling that way about my sermon. How much more do we have? But I, 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 please just come back. Why do we have to continue on with the judgment? And so here, I, here's an end marker. There's going to be seven more plagues, seven plagues, and then that's it. God is finished with the seven-year tribulation period, all the judgments. So verse 2, And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and the image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God. Of God in their hands, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Now, I'm going to pause there for a minute. Let's just talk about this. So we're back up in heaven. We're in heaven, sea of glass with fire, and all those who have been martyred during the tribulation period, those saints who have been martyred are there with a harp and a song to sing. 
here's why we have so many judgments. This is the reason why. All these martyrs. It's not, it's not the sense of revenge like you and I think of revenge, but it's justice. God is bringing about justice on the earth. He's bringing everything to a close and he's saying, I will not let this continue. I will not let you continue to martyr my people, to murder my saints. And so here we have the, the beginning of the seven bowls. So here's the song they sing. Notice it's the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Now I want to pause there for a minute and look at this song. When we look at God's judgments, we tend to think, God, you know, how much is enough? How, how, I mean, are you, is this really, like, aren't we going overboard here? We have, we had all these demons released from the pit of hell. They're torturing people. And we've had all these different judgments, rivers of blood. We've had uh, uh, earthquakes, massive earthquakes and famine. And we've seen all these things happening. How much is too much? And here's what I want you to realize. Notice what the testimony is in heaven. Great and amazing are your deeds. O Lord God the Almighty, great and amazing. You're, this is great. You're amazing, God. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Just and true. That means that whatever you do, it's just. It's exactly right. So we may look at it and go, how much judgment is too much? But the level of judgment that God is doing, the saints are there saying, you are absolutely right, you're judging us. You know, when we think about God judging, we don't like the idea of it. We, we, we don't, none of us like that. And I hope you're not comfortable with the idea of judgment. And I hope that spurs you on towards sharing your faith and evangelizing this world. Because I'm not comfortable with judgment. I have loved ones who I don't want to see judged and go to hell. I don't want to see that. However... Me, a saint in Jesus Christ, when I'm there before the Lord and the Lord is judging, I'll say, wow, that was a really good just judgment, God. That was right. I'm, I'm glad God is just and true. He'll give exactly what's needed to exactly who it's needed, and it will be true. Everything he speaks. Look at verse 4. Who will not, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. It's amazing. All this judgment will end in the nations worshiping God. That's, what it's, that's how it's ultimately going to end. When we get to the millennial kingdom, when Christ establishes that kingdom, we're going to see all nations. Now, you, you and I might think of the millennial kingdom as like one kingdom, Jesus Christ, that's it. But that's not really what the Bible teaches. We're, we, we still have nations. We'll still have borders and boundaries. Israel will have its nation, but Christ will rule over all. And what we'll see is the nations coming to worship God. Worship and, because his righteous acts have been revealed. Verse 5, after this I looked and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chest. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. 
And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. This is an awesome scene. John is up there watching, and as he looks, he sees these, these, the tent of witness. And out of this tent, out of the sanctuary, come these seven angels. I, I don't even, I can't even really imagine what this looks like, but, but if you can imagine, he knows something's going on. There's this worship, and all of a sudden, these angels walking out. And then each one's receiving, and they're pure white, they're holy, they're pure. Whatever they do is right. And, and they're given this golden bowl. And the bowl sure does look nice, doesn't it? It's all gold and stuff. But what's in that bowl? Pure judgment. And they're going to start pouring out that bowl. And that's what we're going to see next week. No one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. We'll talk about that next week. For now, as we close, I want to challenge you. This time, this time, today is the day of grace. Today is the day of your salvation. Today is the day for you to take this message out. Don't be afraid to share that Christ is going to judge. And don't be afraid to share the gospel of grace. Because there will be a time at which it will no longer be a time of hearing. It's going to be judgment. And, and I, I pray that this church will be all about the business of making disciples, that we are going to be concerned with the unbeliever that person who is perishing. You can get, we can get wrapped up in a whole lot of things. We can start getting wrapped up in the fact that, oh, man, we need a new president. And, of course, obviously we do need a new president. It's coming. November is coming eventually. <laughs> the, um, but we can get all wrapped up that all of our problems are because of our president. I mean, even when we have a good president, we have all sorts of problems. I, I don't know if you noticed that or not, but, but when George Bush... George W. Bush was elected president. I don't know if you remember this or not, but I was kind of disgusted by it. There were songs on the radio about him with his quotes in the song about how he's a Christian. And honestly, the Christian world was making him out to be some sort of a, a savior in a sense. And by the way, I, I'm not, I'm not uh, at all uh, pulling for anybody here, but I do love Marco Rubio's quote in the uh, debate that happened when they said, some people see you as the savior of the Republican Party, and he said, whoa, whoa, let me stop you right there. There's only one savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that, that he did that. He's like, well, well if you even compare me to the word savior, I'm going to talk about Jesus. But, but we tend to get wrapped up in a politics. This person can save. This person can do what we can't do. This person will deliver. No, it's only Jesus Christ. If you want to change America, be a faithful evangelist. If you want to change the world, if you want to change your community, your city, start being faithful with the message of Jesus Christ. Because it is only the gospel that will set people free. That will change the rest of things. Not a politician. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your wonderful message. We thank you that we have grace offered to us now. And Father, I pray that uh, as we think about time to come, Lord, we would be ready for your return. Faithful about your business, that, like that faithful steward who planned on your return. Not the steward who is wicked and is lazy, 
But, Lord, we want to be a faithful steward, faithful in your kingdom. Bless us, Lord. And if any of you in this room are at a place where you know that I've been sowing to the flesh, I've been sowing corruption, and you want to change, you want to go from being a weed to being the wheat, being a part of the kingdom, I want to encourage you, just pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, save me. Forgive me of my sin. I repent of it now. I'm ready to follow you. Forgive me for my blasphemous thoughts. Forgive me for making a joke out of what you did for me. I'm ready to quit playing games and follow you. You just pray that prayer. You cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ and know this, that he who confesses that Jesus is Lord and believes in his heart that God raised him from the dead is saved. We thank you, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.